Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henry. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. If you would, turn in your Bibles to the book Revelation. Uh, easy to find. It's the last book in the Bible, so you just have to open it up in the back. And we're in a series taking a look at the uh, last words uh, that Jesus speaks to uh, the last day's church, which is us. And they are seven literal churches, but we talked about how seven is uh, symbolic of completeness in prophetic literature. And so looking at those seven messages to those specific churches, Jesus selected them in order to specifically instruct us what he would say to us as we wait for his return. And so this morning we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 2 verses 18 through 29 and we'll be looking at his letter to the church of Thyatira, the church of Thyatira. And I'm always the last one to get there to give you a little bit of time. Hopefully you found it. Beginning in verse 18, Jesus begins. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. Now, a little background on the city of Thyatira. It was a commercial city. It had lots of uh, trade unions. We've talked about that. Um, Specifically, they were known for their wool and in particular that their wool was purple. And so Thyatira was actually known for being on the high end of the garment industry in the ancient world. And so we actually see in Acts 16, verse 14, this lady who was a dealer in these high-end garments, and her name was Lydia, and she was actually the first convert of the Apostle Paul in Europe. And so Lydia was a godly woman that God used to even start uh, his work here in Thyatira. But we're going to see in this passage an evil woman who is actually corrupting that church from within. Verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write... The words of the what? Son of God. God. Now that that title is the only time he uses the Son of God in all his seven messages. And and that title emphasizes his authority. It emphasizes his, his deity. He is the Son of God. And he he chooses that title for them, for us, so that we hear the seriousness of what he is going to say. He wants us to hear what he speaks in this next moment with a sense of authority. And and so Jesus' tone with this church is much more authoritative than it is with the other six uh, churches that we'll see. And And I don't know, you know, you can probably relate to this. I know with my parents when I was younger, my parents could speak to me very tenderly, very lovingly, but there were other times that they would speak to me a little bit more authoritatively (laughs) because I needed to understand what they were trying to tell me. 
And I always knew there was a shift in that tone based on how long of name they referenced me with. <laughs> you know, normally I was just Kurt or son, but, you know, if I had strayed from what it meant to be their son, then it was my full name, you know, Kurt, Larry, Hinman. And I knew that that conversation with my parents was going to be serious. I, I wasn't going to like it. And so that is Jesus' tone here. He is, he is serious in his tone, and he's saying, listen, I'm speaking to you as one who is the authority over all. Verse 18 again. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a what? Flame of fire. That is, listen, Jesus doesn't just look at you. He looks through you. And he sees all. And he, he knows all. And whose feet are like burnished, what? Bronze. Now, when you see bronze in Scripture, just think judgment. That's what it means in prophetic literature. And so this is referencing God's pure judgment. Verse 19. I know your works, your love and faith and, and service and patient endurance and, and that your latter works, what? Exceed the first, that is, this is a growing church. Thyatira uh, was, was a church that was enlarging, and, and they were enlarging greater at the end than they were at the beginning. And, and so listen, if, if you can have a, a great beginning in your life, and you can have a great ending, then that's what we all want, right? That is what is most desirable, but if you have to choose between the two, then much better to finish well, right? That is the one that we want to choose. And so perhaps, you know, perhaps this morning you would say, you know, I don't know that I've had the greatest launch in my walk with Christ. I've been kind of all over the place. That is, maybe you started your walk with Christ later on in life and so you've kind of had some issues to unpack. There's kind of been the peeling of the onion of your heart in sin that the Holy Spirit has been working on. Or perhaps, you know, you would say, you know, I, I, in, in all frankness, I've just kind of wasted precious years, you know, pursuing my own selfish desires and ambitions that are, that are empty well, the good news is this this morning. It is never too late to turn around. It is never too late to come to your senses and say, Lord, here I am again. Here I am surrendering again. Here I am presenting myself again so that you may do a greater work in me. Now hear me on this. As a believer, your best days should always be in front of you. 
not behind you. Your best days as a believer in Christ are always yet to come. They are not in the past. Often I have people my age or older, which I won't say what age that is, but you probably all know. They'll say, you know, hey, you know, you remember the good old days? And, and, and of course I do. And, and uh, you know, they're not as good as we remember. We have selective memory about the, the good old days, don't we? But I understand the sentiment. And uh, I think we would all agree that there's been a moral decline in our culture. And, and we get that. But listen... We cannot fix our heart and mind on that. Because all that does is cause us to bemoan the present and get stuck in the past. And that doesn't help anybody. We are to be a people who look forward in Christ. We don't fix our eyes on the past. We don't fix our eyes on the darkness that surrounds us. We fix our eyes forward. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, Paul says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is, I am living for Jesus. I am going for that trophy, that trophy that never perishes. I am living for Jesus' best. And so listen, that means I'm excited about what God has done in my life in the past. I have tasted of his goodness and grace. And, and it is so, so, and it, it's, it thrills me that he has touched me. But listen, I'm excited about what God's going to do today. And I'm excited about what God is going to do tomorrow. Listen, this is where we must live. Snap out of it. Get out of the present, get out of the past, live in that hope, live in that expectancy and trust in the leading and care of your God. Do you believe, my friends? Then there should be life and hope and faith stirring burning inside of us. Verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. 
I'm going to go back and unpack that in pieces a little bit. So take a look at verse 20 again. But I have this against you that you, what? Tolerate. Now that's, tolerance is a big virtue in our culture today, isn't it? And people will tolerate or forgive just about anything except for intolerance, right? And for most people who are outside of Christ, they would say that Christians are very intolerant people. And I would disagree. That is, listen, any sincere, strong believers that I know are very, very tolerant people. And so listen, as believers, we get our worldview from our study of the scriptures and our faith in Jesus Christ. And we do believe that every word in this book is true. And so because of that, we try to sincerely live out that faith and share it with other people. But listen, when we do, and someone disagrees with us, we don't shout them down. Uh, We don't throw stuff on their paintings. (laughs) We don't cut their heads off. We agree to disagree. We we pray for them. We tolerate their decision. And yet this new idea of tolerance is not tolerance at all. It is totally different what it says is that you cannot believe that your version of truth is better than someone else's version of truth. And so you have to believe that their version of truth and what they say is reality and what they say is true is as equal to what you say. And not only do you need to believe that and accept that, you need to celebrate it with them And if you don't, then you are intolerant. And so what I've found is that the most intolerant people I know are those who advocate the most for tolerance. But the unfortunate thing that I think we've all seen is is Christians and churches who are, are caving to this nonsense and are caving to the world pressure to fit in, uh, to, to cave to the woke culture so that you can virtue signal to everybody else that you're a virtuous person by worldly standard. To, to cave to the LGBTQIA plus agenda and whatever alphabet things they add to that. And so that is what is happening to some of the people in the church 
of Thyatira. And what we'll see here is that um, there's, there's a faithful remnant in their midst, uh, but, but the church is more concerned about being worldly. They, they would say they love Jesus, but really, man, really what they want is the house, the car, the good life, and that's really what they're pursuing. Verse 20 again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman who? So the center of corruption in the Thyatira church was a woman that Jesus caused, called Jezebel. Now, that wasn't her real name or her literal name. He calls her that because she patterns her ministry after another evil woman named Jezebel in the Old Testament. And so this name comes with a strong association. It's meant to, to kind of mean something. For example, if we would call someone a Judas or we would call someone a Hitler, right? There, there's a strong meaning to that. And that's the same with Jezebel. And, and that is what Jesus is referencing this woman as. Verse 20 again. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls, who calls what? Herself a prophetess. That is, she wasn't a prophetess. She was self-proclaimed. Wow, are there a lot of self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses today. There's a new YouTube channel every second. I kid you not. And so Jesus gives a strong warning to, to this church, to this woman, because she's a self-proclaimed prophetess, yet they are receiving her as a prophetess from God. And by implication, there's a strong warning to the leaders of this church because they're the ones ultimately that are allowing it. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 11, that in the last days that many false prophets would arise and deceive many. And, and wow, I'm amazed at how that just gets more and more true almost every year. When, when I began my ministry, I could probably talk to you about most of them. I can't even keep up with them anymore. And so many people are taken in by them just because they claim to be, just because they claim experiences, just because they talk well, just because they know, you know, Bible language. And it's all ultimately, and I, we've talked about it, it's all ultimately because we really don't know the Word. If you know the Word and the Spirit of God was, is within you, even if you don't know everything, you will be able to know that something is off. Verse 
Verse 20 again. But I have this against you that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is what? Teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality. Now that, that word for sexual immorality in the Greek is the word pornea. And we get our word pornography from that Greek word pornea. And so that term is like the junk drawer in your kitchen where you throw everything in. Do you guys have one of those at home? Junk drawer, everything, all kinds of knickknacks in there, who knows what. Well, pornea is a junk drawer term. And it refers to any kind of immorality you can possibly think of with your wicked heart and mind, men and women, mankind, I mean that in general. Anything you can think of outside of the covenant of marriage between a husband and wife. So does the Bible teach every possible conceivable thing outside of that? Does Jesus speak against every possible sexual sin outside? Yes, he does. Clearly. Teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. That is ultimately Jesus calls her Jezebel because she's misleading God's people into sexual immorality and he, she is misleading them to mix their faith with worldliness. And here the specific issue was food sacrificed to idols. And so in that way, she's acting just like the Jezebel in the Old Testament and so the Jezebel in the Old Testament is actually in 1 Kings 21. You can read that later on your own if you want. But just for a little background, let me kind of tell you the story just really quickly. Jezebel was married to a wicked, spineless king of Israel by the name of Ahab. And so when Je Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said, you know what, I want you to build temples to my God and I want you to kill God's prophets. King Ahab said, yes, dear. And so then Jezebel spoke to the people and what she didn't say was, my religion is better than yours. She said, listen, let's, let's combine them and then let's look at them and just let's choose what we like about each one of them. Let, let, let's pick out what, what works for us, you know, what works for our, what do we think is right? What do we think is true? What, what works for, for our lives in this moment? And what they came up with was sexual immorality and worldliness. Go figure. And so in the same way, this Jezebel here in Thyatira was doing a similar thing. She was prophesying in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, to these believers in the church of Thyatira saying, listen, God is okay with you belonging to those, those guilds, those 
trade unions. And remember, we've talked about that, that those trade unions, those guilds, all had gods over those guilds, and they would, you know, the worship of those gods involved drunkenness and and immorality, and in order to belong to that guild, you had to worship that God and then get a certificate that you worship that God or they kicked you out. And so this prophetess was saying, listen, God understands that you got to live in the world. God understands that that's, that's part of the game. God understands that, that you got to feed your family. He, he understands that that's what you got to do, and then you can come over here and, and worship him. And thus she was leading some to then fall prey to sexual immorality and idolatry. And the reason why is she loved money and she loved immorality. That's what she wanted to do. It's interesting, Tertullian, maybe a name that you recognize, but he was a pastor during these times, and his congregation came to him and said, you know, um, we don't know what to do. You know, we, 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 they're, they're calling us to, to worship in order to stay in the guild, in order to stay in the union, and if we don't, they're going to kick us out, and, and, and we got to feed our families, pastor. We got to live... And Tertullian's response to his church was, do you have to live? That's pretty hard to say. And yet at the same time, I think we need to recognize what is the chief end of man What is our highest purpose? Is it to survive? Is it to somehow scratch out a living? Is it to somehow, you know, seize the day and get the most out of this life and enjoy all the experiences and have adventures and everything Instagram says we should do. Is that who we are? Or is my highest end to do whatever my king requires? And if that means... that my highest end is to live for him in a moment or to live with him in good times or to live with him in suffering or all the above, perhaps. That is, our purpose is different. Our, Our calling is different than the world. We are a distinct people. We live for a different master. We have a different hope. Our hearts are set 
in a different kingdom. How easily we get stuck in this one, huh? It's easy too, easy. Verse 21, Jesus says, I gave her time to repent. That is, you know, God is merciful. He, he, he does not want to judge anyone, even this evil woman. And, and he will give everyone time to repent. He will give everyone a chance to repent. There will be no one in hell, understand, friends, that didn't have an opportunity to get right with God. God will, hear me, God will send no one to hell. Everyone who is there will have chosen it. But she refuses to repent. That is, you know, she rejected the work of the Holy Spirit on her heart. That's so hard, man. So many people do that. And so we pray because, you know, God, God is a good father. Anytime he tells us to not do something, it is always to protect us from that which would harm us and to provide that which is best for us. He, he never tells us no to somehow hold out on the best. He created us. He designed us. He knows how for us to experience what is best. And that is always found in union with the author of life himself, right? The designer himself. But we like to, you know, we don't like to read the owner's manual. We just go like to fiddle it and use it for different purposes, right? <laughs> but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Verse 22, behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed. That is, Jesus says, you like your bed so much, you're going to reap the fruits of your sexual immorality. You're going to be stuck in that bed with gonorrhea or syphilis or something of that nature. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into what? Great tribulation. Unless they repent of her works. That is, Jesus is saying, you know, Christians, if you're continuing in your sin, if we are continuing in our sin, and we will not turn, then God's judgment will come. And God's judgment will be severe. God wants to be merciful. God wants to give us grace. He sent his son to die for us. But at some point, God is just, and at some point, he enforces that justice. And his justice is swift, and it is it's severe. Because the wages of our sin is death. 
Somebody has to pay that death penalty. The good news is Jesus paid for it. And if you want to accept that gift that he gives you, then you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to be judged for your sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he took care of it. And his gift is one of life. Life today. Listen, not life for eternity, yes, but life today. Our eternal life begins today. It's a thrill to know Jesus today. (laughs) Verse 23. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Well, what are these deep things of Satan that are referenced here? And we see this all the way back in the book of Genesis. Remember, I, I told you that a, a Bible interpretation is, is the first mention in the Bible, and a lot of the first mentions are in Genesis. So this goes all the way back to Genesis and the Babylonian religion. And the Babylonian religion is kind of the origin of all the deep mystery cults. In the first century, it was referred to as Gnosticism. Perhaps you've heard of that. And the Gnostics always had these novel, deeper um, meanings pulling out of Scripture. This idea of deeper spiritual truth is that there's somehow this mystery knowledge, there's somehow this deeper knowledge than what is plainly and clearly taught in the Bible. And these Gnostics uh, gained these deeper novel meanings, listened through, some of them it's through angels, some of it through meditation, some of it through wine and psychedelics. All of them claim very uh, great encounters. All of them claim some sort of spiritual guide, names something, some of them biblical names, some of them not. And so, of course, we, we hear a lot of that kind of stuff today, right? We, we, that stuff goes on all over the place today. We would probably put most of it under the umbrella of New Age teaching, right? So modern-day Gnosticism is New Age teaching, and New Age teaching has definitely infiltrated the church, and people call it the Holy Spirit, and that defames the Spirit of God. And it leads people astray. I'll talk about that more when we go through our Holy Spirit series. But But ultimately, what I would want to say, you know, is that there are deeper experiences in our walk with God. There are deeper things to know as we get to know Christ. I mean, Satan always twists the truth, doesn't he? That's why, that's why his lies are so good. There, there's always an element of truth in there. 
But listen, just taking the eternal truth right here, God's living word, at face value, you would never exhaust the depths of it. You don't need any deeper meaning. You could spend an eternity understanding the depths of what is clearly laid out here. And let me add this as well. Jesus is infinite. That means he is inexhaustible. That means we will never outgrow him. We will never be bored in heaven. We will never get our heads around the infinite awesomeness of Jesus. Verse 24. But to the, to the what? Rest of you, that's, that's the faithful ones in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only what? Hold fast what you have until I come. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I, I see you too. I, I see you faithful ones in the midst of all your brothers and sisters who are compromising, in the midst of all the culture who is compromising and do, doing their own thing. I, I see you. I, I know you're discouraged by your brothers and sisters. I know you're discouraged about what's happening in the world, but I I see you. I'm not laying any burden on you. I'm, I'm not speaking this way to you. I'm telling you, hold on. Don't give up. Hold on because I see you. I will sort all things out. I am coming and I will reward you. Here is my instruction to you. Hold on. Verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him. Got to finish well. Remember? Got to finish well, church. Got to finish well. A lot of people start. A lot of people flame out in the middle. Few finish well. We got to finish well. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. That is, Jesus says, you know, if you stay faithful, listen, listen, you will rule and reign with me in my kingdom. Don't get short-sighted. You win. Jesus is saying, my kingdom's better. My kingdom's going to last longer. I'm going to exalt you. You will have true authority over the nations with me. Don't get short-sighted. Don't get it twisted. Just hold on. 
I will raise you up at the right time. Verse 27. And he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. That is, you know, Jesus' justice will be swift and it will be right in his kingdom. Even as myself have received authority from my father. Verse 28. And I will give him, I will give him the what? Morning star. That is, Jesus says to those who hold on, he offers him himself. Revelation 22.16, you can look at it later. Jesus says there that he is the morning star. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, when you have me, you have all. You have need of nothing else. Jesus last week, remember he said, I'm, I'm, the, hit, I'm the hidden manna, right? Here he's saying, when you have me, you have need of nothing else. If you have Jesus, and he is the author of life, if you have Jesus, and he is the creator over all things, he is the power, he is the presence, what else, friends? What else do we need? He is our morning star. He is our hope when the darkness fades. It concludes, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.